0: RadioInfluence.com Welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast presented by Contender Boats. I'm really, really excited today. Uh, You know, as as we go through our life, you you, you always meet certain people that, uh, to me, if I don't see him, I don't talk to him, you know, every day, sometimes for months, sometimes for six months, it doesn't seem to matter. When when you get caught up, um, you just built a friendship, a connection that uh, you know, time just doesn't break you up. And 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 today's guest, for me, he's one of those guys, just one of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, super good guy, and it's a good thing too, because he's a big human. If he was a big old grumpy guy, it'd be it'd be big trouble. But uh, Mr. Ian, the Hitman Harrison, joins me. Uh, pro bodybuilder, uh, professional wrestler, just all around great human being. Ian, how are you today, buddy?
1: I'm good, thank you, Mike. What an introduction! Thanks for having me up.
0: Well, you, you know, I could go on and on for the praises uh, I have for you. You know, uh, I'm, as, as a lot of the listeners know, too, I, I'm a big fan of the gym and spending some time in there and trying to stay in shape and all those things. And um, what you've been able to accomplish, um, you know, in the gym, um, outside the gym, in the ring with your wrestling and, and just everything you've done in, in your business life, uh, you have a beautiful family. All, all those things are in, always inspiring to me and I think they will be to our listeners as well. So, so let's, let's go back and start at kind of the beginning when, when Ian Harrison discovers uh, the gym and, and fitness and decides he's going to go at this thing and start to become a bodybuilder. How does that whole thing transpire, Ian?
1: Mm, uh, it's, <laughs> it's quite a story actually, Mike. I um Alright, so I'm I'm a regular kid. I'm you know, I'm playing football, soccer with my mates and stuff. I'm just a regular normal kid. Um and my dad is a judo guy. He's my dad was the third ever black belt in judo in England. Uh, so obviously we started doing judo. Uh started doing that probably around six or seven years old. Um and I was super skinny. So I basically started doing push ups and stuff with my father. Uh, and, like, curls with an old weight he had from the mill, like on a leather strap with a handle on it, um, just to try and put some size on for judo. Um, and then, typical scenario, I saw pumping Iron, uh, the original pumping Iron when I was 15, I think, and that was it. I'm like, I want to I wanna look like that. I want to be one of those guys. <laughs> so, yeah, on my 15th birthday, um, I got a set of weights Start training at home in my in, in a gym that we made at home, um, and then about six months later, I joined a local gym, um, and I just I just um, I was very driven. I was very driven. I um, you know, you, the, the things happen. I don't know what's like at school when you went to school. Uh, you went. To, where did you go to school, mate? Uh,
0: I went to school in, in Wisconsin, central Wisconsin. Well, well, so
1: when you went to school, was it like rough? Was there a lot of fighting?
0: Um. No. You know, I grew up in a small town, and it, it wasn't. Uh, you know, I had a couple of fights growing up, but I wouldn't say it was rough or or a dangerous environment. No, we were pretty small town. wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't an overly aggressive school that I that I got to go to.
1: Yeah. Well, well the school I went to, there was a lot of. I won't say it's like it wasn't like a rough area, but there was a lot, just a lot of fighting going on. You know. So you, 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 there's a pecking order that goes there, and it's very easy to um, get thrown into a wrong crowd. And I did the opposite. I kind of threw myself on the outside and just threw myself into training. Um, and I would just completely dedicate to training. And then, at 17 years old, I had some major knee surgery on both knees. So I trained so hard from 15 to 17, I was squatting over 600 pounds, which I probably shouldn't have been doing. Uh, <laughs> six, 20 foot, 12 reps. Blew my left knee out, went in to get surgery. I, I, I ended up having to have surgery on my right knee too. And the surgeon told me I could never train again. So I agreed because he said he wouldn't operate it unless I, I agreed. But as soon as he let me out of hospital, out of bed, I went down into the physio department of the hospital, passed out bench pressing um, before they did my other knee. And basically I didn't stop, uh, obviously. And I found a way to train where I didn't have to squat heavy and put a lot of stress on my joints, yeah, a, a method of training, really using pre-exhaustion using isolation movements first and it allowed me to to really excel um and even with those surgeries at 17 at 18 i won the uh, junior mr britain and junior mr universe and then sorry at 19 i won those and then at 20 years old i switched federations went into the uh, efbb which is like the npc over here um and that, that was the the year I won the junior stuff was the same year Dorian Yates turned pro. Everybody's probably heard of Dorian Yates. He won seven Olympias, I think. Um, and then, so I switched federations to the afbb and I turned pro at 20. So I was the youngest person ever to do that, even to this day, I believe. And then I took a couple of years off and started competing as a pro. And um, and then my pro career was interesting. Um I, I think I was a pretty good physique, you know, I think I was up there, but it was a time in bodybuilding that was very, very high standard. I mean, they, they actually call it the golden era now, looking back, uh, which is crazy to me. Makes me feel old, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, and then, a long story short, I know we're going to go back over this, but a long story short, I got sick of the politics of bodybuilding. I uh, wanted to, to put my wife and children through all that um, and, and my health. I didn't want to risk my health. So I retired from bodybuilding when I was 28. Um, I knew a lot of wrestlers, so I decided to get into wrestling. Uh, Went all over England, Ireland, Scotland wrestling for very little money, getting my head kicked in, basically. Um, And then we emigrated over here. Um, I started wrestling for a company called XWF, Jimmy Hart and Road Warriors and uh, all those guys. And that's, that's actually when I met you, Mike. Yeah, I was personal training at the, the, the gym there in Rue You we just moved here. Um, and then I gave that like two or three years. But in one year, I went to nine funerals. And the last funeral I went to was Mike Hegstrand, Road Warrior, Road Warrior Mike. Um, and that was the last one for me. I was like, nah, you know, I need to change a career. So I packed in the wrestling. I'd already packed in the body, but I was packed in the wrestling. And then I got into... Um, Real estate, believe it or not. Probably the worst time anybody could get to real estate. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that went upside down after a few years. It was going great. So everything uh, went upside down. And then I opened a gym in Bradenton. Uh, that was great. Did really well at that place. Um, and then I think I had that 11 years, 10 or 11 years. And I sold that three years ago, and I went back to my roots. And uh, now I'm running a bodybuilding federation called the Physical Culture Association, and it sparked my um, fire for bodybuilding and fitness again. You know, I'm loving it actually, Mike. I'm actually I'm not stressed out. I'm really, really enjoying the the process. You know, of bringing the PCA to the USA and letting athletes have a an, an option to compete in. So that's that. That's a full story in about ten minutes, right? Five minutes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> let's uh, let's let's step back into this a little bit because I, 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 I want to try to get some sense of what it's like. I mean, to be on the stage at the Arnold Classic, to be on the stage at the Olympia, with the best of the best. I mean, um, you know, to be you know, a top 10 bodybuilder on the planet for five, six years in a row, you know, what what kind of stress, what is there, you know, especially with, with a family and, and, you know, all the things you're trying to do, um, you're trying to make a living at this, you're taking something that you love, and I and I, in my brain, I twist this to the guys who love to bass fish or saltwater fish like myself, and you take what you love to do, and you turn it into your job, and now your income and everything depends on your performance. And in, in your case, you know, at these major events, how, how, do, how does that pressure get to you as, you as you step onto the stage? Or was it something, was that a part of it that you just were really drawn to and just really enjoyed?
1: I never let that happen to me, to be honest with you, Mike. I never relied on bodybuilding um, as an income. Anything I earned from bodybuilding was great. It was a bonus for me um i never looked at bodybuilding to make me rich i never i never counted i never looked at my 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 year and think oh i can earn this much out of bodybuilding i was lucky i ended up getting a a, a reader contract a three-year reader contract um and honestly that money never left this country It stayed in the bank account in there <laughs> i'll tell you why i went to get my work visa at the u.s embassy and they laughed at me I showed her my weeder contract and I showed her what I did for a living. And I, I said, I want, I want a work visa so I can stay in the U.S. more than three months at a time. And she laughed and she said, you'd have more chance if you're a tomato picker. I said, really? <laughs> and um, yeah, they won't, they won't give me a work visa. So I had to leave all my contract money in the U.S. and not pay tax on it because they will not let me. Um, <laughs> how wild <laughs> is that? Yeah. Pretty right. Nice absolutely crazy um but so, so i never relied on bodybuilding for an income so i didn't really get pressure that way um i got sick of pro bodybuilding honestly because of the politics um i knew i was improving year by year and i knew i should have placed ahead of certain people in certain shows not all the time and all bodybuilders say that you know i was robbed but this was more like other people saying it and judges telling me and, and i actually got told by a lot of people uh, people high up in the, in the, in the IFBB that I had to serve an apprenticeship. I had to serve my time. And um, that frustrated me. I was young. You know, I was young and very ambitious. And I I wasn't going to be a pawn. I wasn't going to be, um, you know, you're putting your, your body through a lot of stress, physically, mentally. Um, you're putting your family through stress. Because when you're dieting, you're not exactly a nice person. You know, you, you're depriving <laughs> yourself of calories. You know, you're, you're a bit grumpy. Nobody really likes you. You don't even like yourself, and you're doing this for something you're supposed to love. And if you if you're getting better, or, I was getting better. But if you if you know if, if if the effort you put into to something is rewarded with, it's not even just financial, just placings, just a, a, an indication that you're you're improving. Then I'd have probably probably done competing, but I didn't see that, and I was told many times it was just politics. You could look at a bodybuilding show. At the end of my career, and I could tell you exactly who was going to place where before I even got to the show and seen them, and that to me, that's not a sport anymore. And that's why I'm so passionate about the PCA. That's when I saw the PCA. They um, they didn't do that. We judge on the spot. We don't have a gap between the pre-judging and the night show. It's judged, added up, and awarded there and then. And that is well, the most fair system.
0: I would think. I would think that's how you would want to do it. I would think that even as a as a competitor, I want to be yeah. judged today if I didn't if I didn't hit my dieting right. So I got to this show and it, it just didn't come together for me. I mean, that's just the way it goes. That's that's yep. sports. That's competition. You know, that's um you know, that's teams that are undefeated like the the Patriots losing in the Super Bowl to the Giants. It just wasn't your day. You know, I mean, it happens. You can go undefeated all season long, but in the Super Bowl you lost and it is what it is. I mean, that's why you play the game. That's why you get on stage to compete. That's
1: the beauty of sports, though. It's unpredictable, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know.
1: Unfortunately, with something like bodybuilding, it's it's almost like a male beauty contest in a way, though you're not judging the face. Um, And a lot of it's tied into contracts and sponsorships. You know all about this. Yeah. And, and it, it got to the point back then that it didn't really matter how good you looked. If you didn't have a sponsor who was a big hitter, you weren't going to win the show. Well, that to me was not a sport anymore. And that's when I lost interest. So, you know, that's where I went to professional wrestling. At least you know where it is before you get there. <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. Yeah. At least you know what the score is before you even step, step you know, start doing it. I knew what the deal was. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know bodybuilding to me should be a sport it is a sport and even though it's judged you should have a a criteria that you judge within you know and when a bodybuilder that's got a torn bicep and a torn tricep gets straight first in a symmetry round of the olympia the symmetry means both sides are even you're symmetrical so if you've got torn bicep and torn tricep on one side how can you be the most symmetrical person on stage it's impossible so that's just an example but that's what happens in the sport. And that's, like I say, that's why I'm so passionate about the PCA. But it's, um, yeah, I never put that pressure on myself. Like the pressure, all my pressure was self-inflicted because I just wanted to be the best at what I did. And if I didn't succeed at being the best at what I did, it would eat me up inside. I'd feel defeated. And when I retired from bodybuilding, even though you introduced me as with all these accolades, you know, I wondered, uh, Mr. Britain term pro and competing in the Olympia. And I was one of the top 10 bodybuilders in the world for a few years in a row, but I still didn't win what I wanted to win, which is the Mr. Olympia. So when I retired from bodybuilding in my head, I failed. You you understand that?
0: Yeah, I get it. I get it. I think, you know, because I'm a fan of the sport. uh, I'm a, I'm a fitness fan, a gym fan anyway. um, I think (laughs) what you were able to accomplish physically um to me is ridiculous because i of all people having been in the gym for you know 30 plus years now i get it i mean i you know i put a lot of time in the gym and never get never even approach to where you've been because of the dieting because of the work um you know two a days all the stuff you have to go through to get to that level in the sport to me, if you if you get a weeder contract and you win uh, Mister Overall for an entire country, that there's no way to be a failure. If you if you get invited to get on stage at the Mister Olympia, uh, to me I, I don't see failure in that. But I 100% you're be, get. You, I well, get you know where you're coming. Like a... I get where you're coming. Yeah, from. but.
1: When you say what's it like to compete with the best bodybuilders in the world, what's it like to compete on the Aero Classic stage, when you're there, I, I remember being there like it was yesterday, when you're there backstage pumping up with those guys, you don't think, oh, wow, I'm at the Olympia or, wow, I'm at the Arrow Classic. You just think, all right, I'm competing. What do these, these guys look like? What do I look like? Where am I going to place? How, how am I going to compare to these guys? You know, that's all you're thinking. You're just thinking about competing and winning. And if you don't win, I mean, it wasn't even about winning to me because I knew they weren't going to let me win because I was so new. I was I was a rookie in the first few times I competed in the Arrow Classic. But I also knew physically I was capable of standing next to every guy on that stage. And if you don't place, I think top five or top six of the Arrow Classic, if I don't place in that top five or six, I fail. <laughs> in my mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love well. I, well I think it's that it's that attitude it's that drive that you know if, that's the only, if you don't have that you can't put together that physique you won't do the work
1: I think that, that that's the, the the thing we were speaking about earlier that the work ethic is what it's all about honestly bodybuilding uh, anything anything I mean I learned sorry judo at such a young age I learned like respecting the mat, discipline, training, uh, getting the snot kicked out of me at a young age. Um, and that's, that's the sacrifice, you know, like it, 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 if you've been at school all day, most kids go and play in the computer games, don't they? But well, we didn't have computer games back then, but they'd go and play with whatever. And we'd be getting our, our bags ready to go and, and do two hours of judo, cardio, throws, groundwork, all that. And that gave me the discipline, I think, for the bodybuilding. But, I remember when I first started lifting, I mean, it's cold. It's not as cold as where you're from, but, you know, this bit, bit snow coming under the garage door and I'm trying to lift weights. My hands are sticking to the because It's that cold. And then all my, all my mates are knocking on the door asking me to play out with them. And I'm like, no, I've got to train. And that was like at 15. And that was the start of it. And then when you go to you're at work all day, I, was, I worked for the electricity boats. I was digging all day. So i come home and I'd be worn out, absolutely exhausted. I remember I just laid on my bed, composed my thoughts for about 30 minutes, uh, knocked back a protein shake, get in my car, drive to the gym and kill it. And I turned pro. Um, I won the junior universe, junior Britain and turned pro with a full-time job, digging holes in the road and then coming home and training after. Um, training on weekends where I didn't have to work and stuff like that. And it was, I, I was completely, completely dedicated to what I did every waking moment of my life was I, I was either working training eating and if i want i was asleep i mean that's all i did but that sacrifice i made from being when did i start like 14 to 18 those four years i went from nothing well just a regular kid to being uni Miss universe basically yeah um, and in between i and in, and in between I had knee surgery at seventeen, which took me out for six months so i had, I had about three years with all those games and um that literally was what we used to call when your blinkers and nose back on. it was just no no distractions, train like an animal until train harder than anybody else, um eat better than everybody else, sleep better than everybody else, and go to work and earn the money I asked to, to be able to do that. That's really yeah, good. there's
0: so many, so many great stories uh, out there, magazine articles, cover photos, um, just incredible incredible stuff, uh, in my opinion, that you were able to do, you know, following you on social media and, you know, following up other bodybuilders and your pictures will come up on, on social media and it, it just, and it's really weird for me because, again, you and I have become friends, so We've had laughs together and, you know, at one another's homes and our kids play together and all that kind of stuff. It just, but when I see the, the – it, it just – it really is amazing um, to put that much work into something is just incredible. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. And I, I think that's why I was looking forward to doing this podcast with you is because I don't think it matters whether we're talking about bodybuilding or – making it on the pro bass tour or, you know, Life. win winning sailfish tournaments, or I don't think it matters what it is. If you want to be a, you know, yeah. my daughter's, my daughter's going to go to school and play college basketball. If you want to be successful, you get out of something, what you put into it. And if you want to be the yeah. best of the best, you want to be one of the best in the world, you got to eat it. You got to sleep it. You got to drink it. You have to be it. You have to really give. And I think it's, it's very rare it's very special people that have that gift to dig that deep that long and be that focused on one prize uh to me you know not get distracted not get sidetracked all that stuff is is mind-blowing to me
1: I think you know but you've done it you do do exactly the same thing it's it's I get it, and and sometimes now I think, how did I do that? But the bottom line, I think, with anything with anybody, is how bad do you want it? If you want something that bad, if when you wake up in the morning it's the first thing you think about, if when it's the last thing you think about before you go to sleep at night, if you want something that bad, why why won't anybody be prepared to sacrifice everything they've got? Everything, you know. I mean, it, to to me, well, when I started bodybuilding, I was the skinny kid, right? I wasn't. The, the kid with muscles at school. I was a skinny kid. My kneecaps were wider than my thighs. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and, but I, I started lifting and I, I responded pretty well. And I just, my attitude was, okay, I might not have the best delts out of these guys. I might not have the best. You know, I might not be the best now, but I'll outwork every one of them. I'll train. When they give up at 10, I'll keep going. You know, if they go at 12, I'll keep going. Whatever they do, I'll do more. I'll train harder, I'll eat more, and I'll sleep better than them, and I'll make sure that I end up being them. By persistence, consistency, and just generally taking it, taking everything to the nth degree. Now, you, you can't train normally and eat, and eat normally and expect to look freaky. You've got to train freaky, eat freaky, and you'll look freaky. So I force-fed myself, literally force-fed myself. I mean, my parents almost called a psychiatrist on me at 17, <laughs> because of that, <laughs>
0: seriously,
1: I told you that story, right?
0: Yes, you do. but you should tell it again.
1: <laughs> well, I, I was <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm 16, I think. Um, I'm trying to gain size. I'm obsessed with gaining size. I'm working full time, so I've come home from a day at work and training. And my typical routine at that time to put size in was two liters of ice cream, which is a full thing of ice cream. A big steak, like an eight eight ounce steak, baked potato loaded with cheese and uh, <laughs> butter, and then I, I went. I, that at that time I was taking in one hundred and twenty desiccated liver tablets a day. Well, for some reason, this particular day I'd forgotten to take about sixty about sixty of them or something. So I had to sit there, and I I'm not a guy who can take a handful. So I literally one at a time took eight desiccated liver tablets or whatever I had to take. To balance it out for that day. Well, so, um, once I finished taking it, I immediately sat bottle upright in bed, projectile vomited everything across my bedroom. And it all landed in the corner. It was like those things at um Bush Gardens, you know, those water jets that landed <laughs> yeah. in the phone. It was like that. So, so so I goes over into the corner. You know, I'm I'm 16, I don't have a lot of money. Um I, I've got a paper around that I'm trying to earn money to pay for food. And these desiccated mother tablets were not cheap. And I'd just taken them. So they were just a bit moist, really. So I went over and started picking them up, picking them out and retaking them. And uh, and unfortunately, my mother opened the bedroom door to find out what I was doing and saw me picking pills out of a pile of vomit and <laughs> taking them again. And they thought I'd lost my mind. They actually thought I'd lost my mind. They nearly called a psychiatrist on me at 16. <laughs> but but that is, a, that, is a, I, that is a perfect example right there. I knew the importance of protein. I knew I couldn't grow that night from that workout I had earlier if I didn't have protein in my stomach. If I just thrown up, how how do I have protein in my stomach? I don't. So the only way I can salvage that is to either eat a full meal again, but I still got to take all those desk liver tablets. So I started it waste them all. I just took them again. <laughs> see, see where my mindset was?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you're just a piece of work. Uh, I've, I've heard that story, and I've retold that story to people. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Just, just to give the listeners a, an idea, and I've trained with you, um, not when you were training back then, thank God, um, but when you were still a monster, I trained with you. And I remember walking out of the gym. I had my cell phone on my hip. And I remember walking in my truck and my phone was ringing and I laughed like I can't lift my arm to get my phone to my ear. There's no way <laughs> I can answer my phone right now. Um, but I, I was doing some homework on you, just, you know, all your accomplishments, all that stuff. It's it's all online. And I, I something caught my eye and 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 it was in the Wikipedia on you. Known, you were known for your immense strength and ability to do ten or more reps with two hundred pound dumbbells. I've never even oh, yeah. seen a two hundred. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Of course, two hundred pound dumbbells, Harrison.
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually, imagine in England, I actually had uh, dumbbells made by an engineer friend of mine from a hundred pound in ten pound increments right up to two hundred pound, and then I had a set of two hundred forty pounders made. Um, solid. They were solid, so they weren't. They were, if you get plates, they get too long. But these were solid pieces of metal on each end, weighed out exactly. But yeah, I could I could shoulder press 200 pound dumbbells. I could. I have a picture somewhere on my Facebook page. I'm inclined flying 190 pound dumbbells on an incline fly. Um, and that was after I retired from body. That was when I was wrestling. That was a that was not long before I met you actually, Mike. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm. A- I, I,
1: but the silly thing is, I didn't, li- I, didn't, I didn't try to get strong. I just tried to get big. And the way I trained, well, you know how I train. I don't throw things around. I'm very, I, 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 I control the weights. I go for the full stretch. You know, I do things in a very uh, methodical manner. But it's kind of controlled insanity. That's the way I always used to uh, describe it. But I remember first seeing you, man. You were like a house side. There were some big dudes in that gym. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I tell that story. I tell the story all the time, um, especially those people who know who you are. When I, I tell them, I, I you know, I, I was working out in the morning, and you were training this couple. And it probably went on for three or four months that I watched you train this couple. And I tell everybody, I'm like, you got to, you got to think about this. Ian is, Ian's probably, you were probably two, you had to be two ninety, probably still. I mean, just. A monster. I mean, you were wrestling, so you were big, and then you're British, and you know, you might not know this about yourself, but you're a little loud. So I, I mean, have been
1: told <laughs> that yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I'm in <laughs> the I'm in the gym and I'm just doing my thing, but I'm kind of watching you train this these people. And again, you're loud and you're you're but I've never seen a personal trainer so focused. You know, usually and especially for guys like myself who've been in the gym for a long time, most personal trainers, quite frankly, are a joke. But but I'm yeah. I'm wa- I'm watching you train, and and I'm watching you focus on these people, and and every day you were bringing this energy and this intensity to the training. And finally, and I don't remember who introduced us, but somebody introduced. I was I know while we were standing by the front door. I was just getting ready to get out of there, and somebody introduced me to you. And I had, I said. Hey, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, maybe getting with you to kind of clean up my routine a little bit. And I, you, you took a full step back, looked f- down my feet all the way up to the top of my head. And you said, what for? You're big as a house. And I remember sure. thinking I, I remember thinking to myself, this, this world-class bodybuilder doesn't have to give me any love, period. No love. But yeah, there you were. First time I met you, just giving me a little love, making... You know, little old me feel good about myself, um, and, and it was, was it was really, it. <laughs> well, it was neat. It was neat the way we got to become friends. Um, you know, and and I tell people that to me, I, I I had trained a long time before I met you, but I don't think I trained right. I think what really helped me in the gym um, was was the time I spent with you, and then getting to be friends with you, and we trained together some. But getting to put everything where it needs to be, so you weren't, you weren't risking your joints. Where you were getting yeah. a full stretch, where you were getting yeah. a full squeeze at the top, forcing blood into the muscle groups to, to you know, you're tearing it apart, then you're forcing the blood in there to get recovery. So, you know, so many neat things I learned um, from you uh, in that time. It's it was a fun time. Our daughters. Uh, our daughters hanging out together and uh, our wives getting to know one another, all that stuff I think is, is super cool. So let's talk quick about, I want to talk about the PCA. So you got a new passion, a new fire, you know, tell me about PCA a little bit and then we're going to talk about fishing for you um, and your passion for fishing. But let's talk about the physical culture association because everything I see about this organization I like. And, and for me, I'm, I'm a visual guy. I'm not the guy that reads all the fine print. I'm the guy that yeah. I, like, I like the pretty pictures. And what I see in all the PCA stuff, I see very clean, very balanced, um, not necessarily oversized. I see yeah. real physiques that look attainable to me versus yeah. some of the stuff you see on some of the circuits you know, that, that's not reality. That's, that's, that's... Got must, out of hand. that's...
1: It's just got out of hand, man. I mean, honestly, bodybuilding, um, it's supposed to be... The way I describe it nowadays is, you know, when you look at Marvel comics and you've got Superman and then you've got the thing. Yeah. Um, well, I want it to be, I want to physique like Superman. Nowadays, it's gone towards the thing. Right. It's like, it's, it's just big, 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 big. But that number one, it's not healthy. Um, and to me, it's not bodybuilding, that's not what bodybuilding is about. A bodybuilder is supposed to have a small waist, it doesn't matter what class you're in. Um, your men's physique, your bikini it's about small waist, wider shoulders, um, an athletic physique you know, that has muscular tone and balance and symmetry. And the the conditioning seems to have gone out of a lot of it. But the, the thing that put me out of bodybuilding really was politics, to be honest with you, Mike. And then I kind of got pulled back into bodybuilding in 2016 by um, Eddie Robinson, actually, and a guy called Eddie Elwood who runs NABRA in England. They kind of uh, coerced me into going over to England for the universe. And it was like going, it was amazing. I spent half the day with almost tears in my eyes. because I'd seen people I'd not seen since I was a teenager. And that show really brought me back into bodybuilding. Um, I, you know, I've got friends with a lot of people that I've only ever competed with, never spoke to, but, you know, Eddie Elwood, for instance, um, who runs that federation now, we've competed for years. I've always been friendly, but never been friends. And you don't realise how much you've got in common with these people. You know, you fight, you you, know, you don't fight with them, but you compete with them forever, so you don't really speak to them like a friend. Anyway, right. it's got a long story to show. Um, Ryan Alexander, who started the PCA in England um, five years ago, he was at that show. And consequently, I ended up uh, speaking to him for quite a while. He told me all about the PCA. But at that time, he was going to help me run the NABBA organization in the UK. Um, That didn't work out. And I ended up basically approaching Ryan Alexander. and I watched PCA grow. It was like a new country every week. They were growing at a ridiculous rate. They were doing amazing things. They were giving large amounts of prize money to amateurs, um, which I liked. Um, I thought it was, you know, it's it's a tough sport. Um, and I eventually went over and watched one of their shows in 2018. Yeah, beginning of 2018. And I was amazed because basically, we run a food show. So basically, the athletes come out, uh, they do the quarter turns, they do the comparisons, the judges pull them out in groups, compare them. Every athlete, every single athlete in every show, then comes out and gets to do their full posing routine so the family can watch them. Um, And we judge that too. And then all the athletes come out, and every class we do a pose down with every single class. That's been mimicked by other federations now. But um, anyway, so once that pose down is done, basically while they're doing the pose down, we're correlating our scores. So all the judging is done while they're on stage. As soon as their pose down is finished, we announce the results: fifth, fourth, third, second, first. Announce the trophies, present the trophies, take the pictures. And that class is done. They're done for the day. Now the next class comes on. That eliminates athletes having to get peaked twice because usually they have to peak in the morning and try and re-peak at night. That reduces the cost to the family of having to buy a pre driven ticket, and a night show ticket. Our tickets are $35 for the whole day. Uh, children who are under 12 are free because that's the next generation of bodybuilder, in my opinion. Um, we're trying to do it so that it's affordable for the bodybuilder. Like the, the athletes... For the membership for us is $50 for the year. Most of the federations are well over $100, 150 um, Our entry fee is $50. Most shows are between $100 and $300 per, per class. Um, we don't allow crossovers. So we don't allow a person to compete in the bodybuilding and then the men's physique. Because in, in my opinion, that's two different physiques. That's two different right. types of physique. What's happening now is, the bodybuilders are winning the bodybuilding class, but then they're putting board shots on and going winning the men's physique class. And that shouldn't be allowed, in my opinion, because all that promoter is doing now is charging that athlete for another entry fee in another class, and that's what they do, Um, so that they can get a trophy. And now all those people that are competing in that men's physique class have just been beaten by a bodybuilder with board shots on. And then what happens is all the bodybuilders do it. And now you don't have a men's physique class anymore. They introduce a new men, a new class to accommodate that more streamlined look, so I digress. But basically, we're trying to be athlete friendly. We're trying to make it affordable for the athletes. We're trying to make it affordable for the family. We're making that even the tanning. We're doing our own tanning team. Um, so a, a tan that would normally cost an athlete hundred and thirty, hundred and forty dollars, we're doing for ninety bucks. Um, if you uh, the pictures, the photography, we do our own photography, um, and I, I believe it's better than most, to be honest with you, most league photography. Um, We follow our lead from Brian Alexander in the UK and we make those photo packages affordable, again, 50 bucks, uh, but you get a lot of high-quality pictures with any other federation. That's double or triple. So in every single aspect, we're trying to save the athlete money and on the other side, we're trying to give the athletes prize money and give them opportunity to compete internationally. We we would have had the World Championship this year, but it got cancelled due to COVID. Um, But the first year we had a show, we took nine athletes to England to compete at the World Championships. Um, there's 50 grand up for, up for grabs at the World Championships and pro stats. So, if you win one of your classes, you'll get a pro card. So, these athletes are competing at a very high level um, with a chance of earning money without having to break the bank. Um, and the family can also go and support them too without breaking the bank. So, that's trying to kind of concise what we do. We do a lot more than that, but that's kind of in a nutshell what we do different to other, other shows or other federations
0: official pcausa.com is the website pcausa physical culture association um it's good stuff my friend it really is i'm uh, i'm enjoying following it uh very very much let's let's talk a little bit of fishing um yeah because i know that you have a passion for it and uh, I do. uh and and where did that where did where did that start for you where did where did fishing become a, a a pastime for the hitman?
1: Child, as a child, I mean, as kids, we used to go on the local canal and fish for gudgeon. We used to call it gudgeon bashing. A gudgeon's like a minnow, and we'd see how many minnows we could catch in a day. We're using a bobber and a maggot, and then like a hook, tinier than your fingernail. Um, so we all started there, and then I got into a little bit more coarse fishing, fishing for carp on ponds. You know, like uh, perch, roach, kench, those type of fish in England. I loved it. I used to spend hours by myself in the pouring rain trying to catch a little carp. I think (laughs) the biggest carp I ever caught was four and a half pound, and then put it back after I took a picture with it. And then (laughs) I met you. (laughs) Then I moved here and met you, and uh, you showed me what real fishing was, and it blew my mind, and I got addicted instantly. I mean, I'd always fished, but I'd never fished for fish that you could actually eat. And fish that put up a fight, like. I mean, first time I ever caught a redfish, I nearly shit my pants. Excuse my <laughs> language. But, uh, right. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I absolutely adore fishing there. I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm mean, into kayak fishing now, by the way, Mike. Really? Yeah, I've got a kayak. Me and Matt both got two kayaks, two of them kayaks. And uh, if we do go out, we normally kayak fish.
0: Well, that's good. Get a little cardio in, a little, little poison.
1: I've got a good mate. He fishes a lot, but he never fucking takes me with
0: really. <laughs> <my language>. him. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, your uh, your good friend needs to get you on the needs to get you on the water. One of one of the one of the I highlights busy, one one you. of the one of the highlights of my entire twenty years of guiding was was putting your son Mac on that tarpon in Grand Pass. That was at that last night. yeah. Is, that was an absolute. Um, what an absolutely great day that was! That was so much fun. The big smile I got—I have a big picture of it. I know I got you a picture of it too. And and uh, the 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 smile on Max's face—you couldn't beat that smile off his face with a with a ball peen hammer. He got such a big big grin on his face.
1: That was an incredible day. I can't thank you enough for that, mate. You know, <laughs> Mac, is, Mac is now twenty years old and six foot three.
0: That's crazy. That's crazy. I, I wouldn't even—I'm sure I wouldn't even recognize him. So. So tell me a little bit about fishing in England. I remember once you telling me that fishing's pretty popular in, in your home country. Very there.
1: popular. Yeah, very, very popular. Um, it's mainly course fishing, you know, carp fishing on ponds. Um, that's kind of where most of the guys – and honestly, looking back, I don't know why I did it. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I, I just love fishing. But compared to the fishing like here in Florida, it's just completely different, absolutely completely different. But it's I don't know, I used to I used to love, you know, it's a it's a patience game, isn't it? You know, you basically you're not trying to find the fish. You're you're casting an area that you think there's gonna be fish and you're hoping they're gonna wander around and find your bait. That's kind of you know, that's kind of how out because it's a pond, they can't really go anywhere, can they? Well, <laughs> yeah, and you
0: I know. wonder I wonder as wired as wired as you are, you know, as dedicated as you were to, to your to your dreams, I wonder if it just wasn't a complete escape for you, you know. Just a because I mean I think fishing for a lot of people, you know, they they work all week, they're grinding, you know, the kids and you know trying to put kids through school or you know dealing with COVID or just whatever it is. Fishing is this giant outdoor relaxation, this release for people. Um, yeah. And I wonder if that isn't what made it such a draw for you because everything else, I mean, 200-pound dumbbells, bro, that's pretty intense. And I've trained with you. You're intense anyway. And I trained with you when you weren't trying to win the Olympia. And I still couldn't answer my phone. So
1: Yeah, I was a lot more intense when I was younger. I was crazy after the (laughs) Olympia. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying. So, you know, I think maybe – I mean, do you think maybe that's what it was? Was it was just, you know, a release, a place to just kind of, you know, yeah, go
1: and get away? I love nature. Man. I absolutely adore. I love nature. Like, I could sit and just watch. I could just sit and watch fish, and, and I could sit, sit on a boat and just watch nature. I love it. So, I mean, many a time when you've taken me out, um, we've been out together, and I'm just like, wow, you know, if I don't catch out, if I catch something great, but if not, look at this. How beautiful is this? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, I think, I value every second of my life, every second. I don't take any seconds for granted and I appreciate every single thing. The times you've taken me out, the times we've spent on the war and the things you've shown me and just how cool you are. You're great at handing out compliments but you're a pretty cool guy, you know that, Mike. You know, you you are, you really are, mate. I mean, you, 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 I came from England, not knowing anyone, and we ended up being really good friends. And you took me out so many times when I had, had nothing. I mean, I was struggling just to get my feet on the ground here. I couldn't offer you anything. You looked after me. I mean, damn! You, what was that? You used to, I used to get food off you. Remember, you used to do that. <laughs> She, she well, I, parmesan sandwich I used back. to. <laughs> That's, how I
0: you. That's how I paid you. That's how I paid you for the training. Remember, we traded. Cool. I, I owned Balconica. the pizza. I owned the pizza joint up the street. It was funny because I, I remember, wow, cool. I remember saying, "Well, you know, you live in my neighborhood, and I got the pizza joint right up the road here, the West Shore Pizza." So. I go. You probably you probably don't eat pizza though, and you were like, no, but my kids do. And I'm like, well, let's. I'll trade you out some pizzas for some training. <laughs> and then you ended up eating a chicken parm. It's perfect. Yep, oh, my yeah. good.
1: I can take it right now. <laughs> it was.
0: It was. Uh, it was uh, and and you know, just it, it's a unique friendship. Like I said, to me, you know, and I've I've been blessed because I've had a. I've had a handful of these, a couple guys I was in the military with that, you know, I don't talk to sometimes for a year or two. And then we get on the phone and it's like we never missed a beat. And and I feel that same relationship with you. I haven't seen Absolutely. you in too long. Uh, every now and then I text you or you text me just to check in on one another. But, um, you know, every time I get you on the phone or I'm around you, it seems like we've been, you know, like we've been living in the same neighborhood forever. And you've been you've been moved out of here for a long time now, so um, you know I, I really, I really appreciate you taking some time to uh, to share your story again. Uh, you know, just a super great competitor. Uh, uh an incredible father an incredible person uh one of my favorite people on the planet you always made me laugh i can just think of some of the stuff <laughs> that you've said to me <laughs> and we've done together and i just start laughing dude it just uh it just makes me laugh uh, so you're,
1: you're a good guy mike i really appreciate you having me on i appreciate all the kind things you said about me and um everybody was listening i'm sure they all know how great a guy you are and, yeah, well, have to, we, we, we keep saying it, but I'll have to see you soon. I'll have to see yeah. you soon. sooner, yeah.
0: sooner rather than later. It's uh, the the website official pcausa.com. He is Ian Harrison. If you Google Ian Harrison bodybuilder, you'll get hundreds of photos of the. The physique extraordinaire. I call him Grape Ape. I I laugh all the time when a a picture, when a picture's come up on the social media. And I just, I comment every time the same thing. Beast. Just a total, total beast. One of my favorite people on the planet. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Give your, uh, give your lovely bride a a hug and kiss from the Andersons. Tell her we said hello and, uh, we'll talk soon. All right.
1: I will, but you give back and the kids that best too.
0: We'll do it, buddy. Talk soon. Be good.
1: All right, man. Talk to you
0: later. Well, I certainly hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Do yourself a favor and Google Ian Harrison Bodybuilder. Um, again, I, I just I love his story, his dedication. You know, if it's um, just becoming a better tarpon fisherman or becoming a better saltwater fisherman or or you want to catch Sailfish or whatever it is, I think Ian's dedication, um, relentless dedication to his dream, his focus, uh, is a great lesson for all of us. I know uh, just being around him inspires me all the time because of all the great things that he's accomplished uh, in his career. Um, I can't imagine, you know, stepping on the stage at the Arnold Classic or the Olympia and not feeling nervous, but the man put in so much time and effort that he—it's he, he just a special guy. So, really appreciate you guys checking it out today. Remember, the Real Animals podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and ri dot com. We're also now available on Spotify. Remember, it's real important if you subscribe, rate, and review. We would appreciate that. And remember that the Real Animals podcasts are presented by contender boats if there's anybody out there you'd like to hear us do a podcast with please feel free to message message us on facebook facebook slash real animals or on instagram at real animals tv have a great day we've got more podcasts coming your way soon we appreciate you This is a forking around town with Tracy Guida. Quick fix on Radio Influence.
1: So, Dead Bob's. I've had a lot of people ask me about Dead Bob's. I want to talk a little bit because you've ha- actually had more stuff on their menu than I have.
0: I've yeah, I, I had a burger to go one time that was excellent. Um, then we showed up the one time and had the deep fried pork uh, pot roast. Pot roast, which yes. was I don't know, top probably top five best uh, appetizers I've had in the Bay Area for yeah. sure. I mean, very very impressive.
1: Absolutely. I know it's funny. Uh, Ever since you and I both posted that picture, I've had a lot of people tell me they went there just for that dish.
0: Yeah. Well, actually I had the dead Bob's manager
1: call the station to talk to our our producer and wanted my number. I'm just going to, I'm going to get in touch with him. But he said numerous people came because I brought it up on air and numerous people came to check it out. And, uh, listen, I'm not going to gas something up unless I think it's good. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty darn good. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. I want to go back and try some more things. And they seem to be doing very well. Whenever I drive by, there's a ton of people there. So yeah, this is the South Tampa location. There's also one in St. Pete, which I do want to check the original one out.
0: Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.